It's so good to be back home with you that, uh, this week. We have uh, been so appreciative, our family has, of your prayers. Uh, we had to put Jenny in isolation for about 10 days, and I was able to take care of my mother during those 10 days, and I found out a lot of things. I found out who the toughest man in the world was. It's Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. My wife, I mean, my mother, that's all she'll allow me to watch when I'm with her. He got shot 48 times and rose up off the street and went after his people and killed them. Amen. Chester fell in love 14 times and never got married. I tell you, it's a hard thing to sit in a house for 14 days. That's just not who I am. This virus is a very weird thing, isn't it? I was talking to some people and some of our members and one of them told me, said, Pastor, we don't know what to do. Said, we've been quarantined three times and none of us has ever had the virus. Said, it's the weirdest thing. Said, we'll get over the quarantine, uh, quarantine and kids go to school, they'll get quarantined. And then they get back and then I'll go to work, then I get quarantined. And then the husband goes to work and they get, and three different times they've been quarantined and none of them has had the virus. Talking to some other members, they haven't been here since March. They locked themselves up. They didn't have any visitors. And when they went to work, they worked in two different places. And both places, they were isolated behind Pexley glass. And they had to be tested before they came in. They were separated there. And yet both of them ended up coming down with the virus. It don't make sense. And then there's a guy like me who's a pastor who has to be everywhere. And I've never had the virus. It's a strange thing. And we don't understand it. But we're going to deal with it because I want to tell you, there's one thing that I want to say as a pastor. Just because people are quarantined does not mean that they have the virus, folks. There's so much fear going on and so much speculation. And just because someone dies does not mean that they died because of the virus. Uh, we've had some deaths in our church and they automatically thought, well, it was because of the virus. Neither one of those deaths were by the virus. Uh, we're going to miss Bud and Susan Middleton so, so greatly. My heart grieves. Uh, I just believe we ought to applaud old Bud in heaven and Susan today. Let them know that we missed them. <laughs> Amen. Oh, my goodness. You know, they're one of those great crowd of witnesses that's looking down and cheering and us on. They're the ones that say, hey, I made it. Now, come on, you can make it too. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, you know, I just, I just uh, one of the things as a pastor that's on my heart, let me just, can I just speak as a pastor just for a few moments? Folks, we got a lot of people that's watching by the internet. We want you to know that we miss you. We want you to know that we support you in what you're doing. If anybody has any symptoms whatsoever, whether it be fever or coughing or aches or the flu-like symptoms, please stay away for a few days. Get tested and see and or let, let it, we, we don't want to spread a virus. It's a real thing. But on the flip side of the coin, don't be paranoid. There's, there, everything's got to be done in moderation here. We have people that are, uh, are uh, quarantined due to different reasons and we support those and we want you to know we love you and we hope to get back together soon. But one of the things that I want to say as a pastor, if you're quarantined, don't just be quarantined from the church. It's kind of odd that people will quarantine from the church, but they're all over the place. You see them here, there, eating out, going here, going there, going to games, going. If you're going to be in quarantine, be in quarantine or 
If you're not, then come to the house of the Lord. It's, it's, it's priority. It's essential. Can I have an amen? Well, that went over like a lead balloon. Amen. What we're doing here is essential. It's vitally important that the church gather together. I'll be preaching along uh, this lines in the, maybe in the months to come. But folks, having a life group, having a Bible study, having a time together with some people at home and praying and having a prayer meeting is not church. Amen? It's important that we fellowship, that we break bread with one another, that we have Bible studies, that we have life groups. That's discipleship. But I want to tell you, there is a reason that God brought the body together. And there's a reason to assemble together. And Hebrews 10, 25, it tells us not to forsake the assemblings of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. If there's one thing that I know that the devil's trying to do in these last days is keep the church from coming together. And whatever we do, do not allow this virus to divide us. It's dividing our nation, but it must not divide the church. You have a right to have a different opinion about the virus than somebody else, but respect one another, love one another, and for heaven's sakes, what do we ever do as believers? Do not attack or do not fight with the brethren. Let's be in unity. Can I have an amen? A house that's divided against itself, it cannot stand. But we're here today to preach the word of the Lord or what the Lord has placed upon my heart. If you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 20 through 21. I'll not be like the preacher that said, open up your Bible anywhere and I'll get along there in a minute. But 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 20 and 21, you can remain seated. You've been up a lot and down for the reading of the word today. And it says, and Michal, some call her Michael, some call her different things. I call her Michal. And Michal, who Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give her that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines might be against him. Wherefore, Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. Brother Chuck Richardson, would you ask the Lord's anointing and prayer over this word, please? Amen. Now this morning I feel like the, Lord, the word of the Lord has given me a word for this church that every Christian, every single one of us needs to take heed to. And I'm not talking about just a few of us, I'm talking about every single one of us, even myself, that you and I need to take heed to the word of the Lord that God is speaking over us today. I want to talk to you today about keeping yourselves from snares, especially right now during these unstable times. How many knows that we're living in what we call unstable times? There's no doubt, I believe, that every person that is a Christian has to deal with at least one or more snare in their life that can hinder them from living life at its fullness. There's that snare that's always there, that's always trying to bring you down, to trap you, to ensnare you, that it's fighting you, it's opposing you. Everywhere you turn, that thing lifts up its ugly head and comes against you. We all, every single one of us, face that kind of a thing. Each one of us has both strong and we have both weak points within our lives. 
all of us has pressure points and when the pressure is applied, all too often those weak areas in our lives are revealed and they're manifested and then it's then that we become more susceptible to failure or being snared by the enemy. It's when that one moment of weakness is tested. It's at that point that you're very susceptible or you're very vulnerable to the enemy's attack and you got to be very careful. When you're dealing with that opposition, when you're dealing with that weakness, when you're dealing with that time when pressure hits and you're tested and your weakness is manifested, you have to be alert. You have to be wise. There's no room for carelessness or recklessness and lukewarmness in these days that we're living in because folks, these are serious times. These are what Paul called perilous times. This is very dangerous times. You and I are living in the most dangerous time that we've ever lived in in the course of our lives. Folks, we're living in what we call the end times and things are accelerating if you can't see it at a rapid speed. If there's ever a time to be authentic and real, it's now because there's no room to be playing games in the house of the Lord. You and I better be as wise as a serpent and we better be harmless as doves. We better be alert, we better be sober, we better be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is truly like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Especially when he sees that his judgment is drawing near and he sees that. Snares are traps or devices used in order to stop, hinder, or kill a person. A snare can be very obvious or most of them, however, are hidden or they're undetected. If we will all be honest, there are things that we constantly struggle with in maintaining a productive Christian life without really understanding what the cause is or what the issue is really behind the struggle. Matter of fact, a lot of us never detect the root of what we're going through. Sometimes we never notice our snares and we never see the spirit behind what we're dealing with. Let me say that every time that there is a struggle, every time that there is a war, every time that there's a temptation, every time there's that moment of weakness, there is a snare right there to snare you and there's a spirit behind it. You may not always detect it, you may not always realize it, but what we are fighting is a spiritual assault and a spiritual attack. Folks, I want to make this clear. I want you to know what we're facing with with this virus is spiritual. This is not just a physical malady. This is very much a spiritual thing. Look what it's doing to the country. Look what it's doing to people's lives. Look what it's doing in the lives of of the people of our nation and the churches. Many never see things in a spiritual realm, only in the physical, and therefore they fight everything within the flesh. And the problem is when you do this, you become snared because this is not a flesh and blood fight. This is a spiritual one. One of the things I I've been praying is, Lord, open my eyes during this time. Let me be wise. Let me be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. Don't let me be foolish. Don't let me be out of character. Don't let me be unbalanced. God, if there's ever a time for me to walk as a leader in the right way, in a, in a positive way, in a light of the glorious truth of your gospel, it is now. And I'm here to tell you that goes for every single one of us. You and I cannot win by fighting in the flesh. 
This is not a fleshly fight. This is why that Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 3 and 3, oh, you foolish Galatians. He said, you did run well, but what did hinder you? He said, you started off good. He said, are you so foolish after by beginning in the spirit that you are now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? He said, you started off in the spirit. You done well, but what has caused you to become so foolish and now you're trying to finish in the flesh? This is why the Paul reminds every single one of us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 for the weapons of our, our, our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty through God in the pulling down of strongholds. This is why it's important to continually ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to reveal the snares that is set out to enslave us or to trap us. Folks, you need to be praying that this week. God, open my eyes to the snares. Open my eyes to the deception. Open my eyes to the tricks. Some of us has got to get some clear answers of what we need to be doing in this very time. How many times have I heard just in the last week, I'm so confused, I don't know what to do, I'm overwhelmed, there's so much uncertainty, there's just, everywhere I turn, there's just chaos. Well, let me tell you, God God is not the God of chaos, he is a God of order. And God wants to bring order, and he wants to bring clear direction, and he wants to bring understanding to the house of God, of what you and I need to be doing in these times. We do not stand ignorant of the devil's devices. Can I have an amen? Where's the body at today to say we declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and we can have the authority and have the wisdom of God to overcome what's coming against us in this hour. Amen? feels good. This is better than gun smoke ever even thought about. <laughs> Hallelujah. Huh. There's a spiritual dimension in our Christian walk that must be cultivated and practiced if we are to face and to conquer our snare. This is a walk that you and I got to walk out. It's not something we can sit on the sidelines and think, well, what will be, will be, or I hope things get better. If we do that, we're defeated. We are not here to sit on the sidelines. We are active to get in the game because we are to storm the gates of hell. This virus shall not and cannot take out the child of God. We're standing against it in the name of Jesus under the blood-stained banner of Christ, and we will prevail. Amen. The same Holy Spirit that brought the redemptive process into our life will always be there for us and see us through if we allow him to do so. But it's whether or not we allow him. You know, no doubt with what is going on in our land today that there is many hidden snares that are set up to enslave and trap every single one of us. You can guarantee that the enemy is going to use everything he can to his advantage during these times. You can guarantee that the enemy has a plan, he has a plot, he has a scheme during these unprecedented times. We are treading on new ground, you and I are. We have never been here before as a people, as a church, as a nation, or even as a world. People have faced many things. Nations have endured many hardships. Churches have battled many wars. But never have we seen anything that has affected and changed the face of the world what we are facing right now. Every nation, every culture group, every tongue has been challenged. And one of the things that they're challenged in, folks, all of our eyes is upon the virus, but it better be upon the spirit of things that's behind it and what is escalating around the world. There is a liberal push 
brush that's trying to bring evil and that's trying to bring sin and it's trying to bring abominations into our land and it's trying to pull down the holy standard of the word of God. Can I have an amen? We better be paying attention to what's going on. You can guarantee that there's an underlining current working behind the scenes, not only to snare us, but to get rid of any influence of God whatsoever. Amen? Our world is being aligned in the end time prophecies. And the whole face of the world is moving, shifting, and changing. Let's look at David for a moment. After David killed Goliath, he was celebrated by all of the people as a hero. They begin to sing songs, and they sing, Saul has killed thousands, and David has killed ten thousands. And King Saul immediately began to be threatened, not only because of the song, but also because he had already been told by the prophet Samuel that his kingdom was going to come to an end and that God was going to give it over to another. He had already been told by the prophetic word, you are disqualified as king and I'm going to remove you in your office and another man's going to take your place. And here's David that comes on the scene and they're looking at him as a hero and of course Saul begins to think this is the man. Instead of Saul resigning to the fact of truth given by the prophet, he tried to continue on in the flesh. He tried to protect something that had already been doomed. He tried to keep alive and keep something blessed that had already been cursed. I'm afraid that all too often you and I do the same old things. We have our dreams, we have our ambitions, we have our kingdom thoughts, and we have what we want to see done, and when it don't get done, and God ain't ever in it in the first place, we just keep on trying to make it happen. We just keep trying to dream it. We just keep trying to work it out in the flesh. This is what Saul was doing. Saul was carnal, worldly, fleshly driven, and was set on trying to hold on to his kingdom and his desire. And all too often we see the same thing happening in so many believers' lives in the church world today. Like Saul, like the Galatians, they started off real well. Saul started off good. But when personal growth stops, maturity comes to a standstill and convictions become ignored and hunger diminishes and God's presence begins to be taken for granted and grace becomes frustrated, then withdrawal and lukewarmness and hard-heartedness and complacency sets in and then indifference occurs. It is while the people are in this place that you will see people trying to manipulate God even with prayers that is designed to put on a religious act attempting to trick God to give us what we desire. They say by statistics that over 90% of the things that we pray for is all about self and nothing about God's will being accomplished. They say that everything that we do in the hours that we spend in prayer is always about God give me this or God do this or God have this done or God take care of this or God would you make this happen for me and God would you move this and God would you take that away and none of it is ever seeking God for any kind of direction that God's will might be done in that person's life. And this is the kind of man that King Saul had become. Instead of resigning to the will of God, they, he tried to hold on to his kingdom, his desires, and he set himself up for failure. And if Saul would have allowed himself to be broken in the sight of God and repented, God would have saved him. How many knows that? God is faithful to hear the prayers of the repentant, the prayers and the cries of the broken and those that are sorrowful. We will always be fighting and warring and battling the flesh until we learn how to completely surrender our will unto God's will. And this is what this is all about. This is a test of our faith and God is testing our faith and when we see the weaknesses that's manifested, we need to surrender those weaknesses to God and repent of them and say, now God, you're teaching me in the time of trial 
trial because the trying of our faith is what brings patience and understanding to the will of God. And God, while I'm tested and you're revealing my weakness, forgive me of my weakness and help me surrender my life unto the will of Almighty God. Can I have an amen? That's what we got to do here today. If you believe that, give the Lord praise. The, Isaiah, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 66 and 2, it says, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at his word. Did you hear that? The one that listens to the voice of God, the one that trembles at his word is the one that God is gonna look upon and give divine favor. That's where we got to be during this time. David knew this because in Psalms 51, 17, listen to what David said. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite spirit, O God, thou wilt not despise. David knew that what was necessary in order to obtain and have the favor of God upon your life is to have a broken and a contrite spirit. It was Jesus that said in Matthew 18 and four, therefore whosoever humbles himself as a little child, he is the one that is the greatest in the kingdom of God. It isn't until we learn how to reach the place in Christ where instead of constantly fighting for life, we become in sync with the giver of life. It's then and then only that we will find the secret to victory. It's when we begin to learn how to yield ourselves over. Instead of battling for life, we come in sync to the giver of life and say, I surrender. I'm done. I'm done fighting. I'm done struggling. I give myself wholly to you. You are king. You have lordship. I have given myself to death to where you might reign in my life. That's what God's looking for. The next thing we see is Saul offering his daughter Michal to become David's wife. Now, why in the world would he do this? Saul was already enraged due to the popularity of David, and he looked at David as a threat. So why in the world would he offer his own daughter's hand in marriage to him? King Saul had an ulterior motive behind giving his daughter Michal to David as his wife. Look at our text in verse 21. It says, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and the hand of the Philistines may be against him. It is a sad day when you use your flesh and blood, your own flesh and blood, your own children to further your cause and to fulfill your agenda using them as pawns in the pawns on the chessboard of life. I've seen people do that all the time, especially in the areas of divorce where they use their children as pawns. They'll put their children this way, that way, using them, manipulating them in order to somehow get what they want. They use their own children. That's what Saul had resigned to. Can you imagine that? I want to tell you, there are a lot of people that are so carnal that they can't even see what they're doing, and that's where Saul had become. Carnal men and women are so blinded that they don't even see how their selfish ambitions a lot of times affect their own children. The things they do, the things that the games they play, the manipulations they try to perform, the the the, the uh, hidden s- s- deception that they try to keep going, and the children are sitting back, seeing it all on display. They're not dumb; they see it. Can I have an amen? And can you imagine a person using their own children as a plot, a plan, or a scheme to work evil to get what they want? What a way to train up your children, huh? And what a thing to pass down to them. God gave me this, and I thought, oh, God, that's one of the saddest statements that you've ever given me. Saul not only fathered Michal in the flesh, but he also fathered flesh into Michal. Think about that. There's a difference. He was her biological father. He fathered her in the flesh. But he also fathered flesh into Michal. There are two different voices to listen to in the world. 
There are two different fathers that is operating in the world. There's the voice of error, deception, manipulation. He's the father of illusion. He's the father of flesh, seduction, and carnality. He's known as the father of lies within Scripture. He's the prince in the power of the air, and, and, he's, and he is none other than Satan himself. How many knows that he's the father of lies? Amen? Then there's the voice of truth that comes from our heavenly Father in the form of the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us into all truth and through the Holy Scriptures, the will of the Word of God. There's two ways to know truth. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit because the Bible says when the Holy Spirit has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak unto himself but whatsoever he hear, that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. Jesus said, he shall receive the mind and he will show it unto you. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of truth. Another way to know truth is through the Word of God. Jesus said in John 7, and 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So that's where we get our truth. Saul could have been reconciled if only he would have accepted that God had disqualified him as king and allowed God to work in his will. But no, he had to be a man of flesh. He had to operate in the flesh. He tried to hang on to a kingdom that God had already cursed. He tried to hang on to something that God had already, had already doomed for failure. But not being king was not the end of the world, but it was to Saul due to his jealousy, his pride, and his arrogance. We see that Saul's servant told David that no dowry would be required or necessary in order to marry this daughter, which was very unusual. Usually they had to bring a dowry, some kind of an offering or some kind of a dowry in order to be able to uh, satisfy the father for that daughter's hand. But the servant said, uh, the king says there's no dowry that is necessary. But they told him there's only one requirement for the marriage to be consummated, and, that would, and it's very unusual. It's a very unusual requirement. He must, this is the requirement. Saul said he must bring 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. This, of course, was a plot and a scheme to get rid of David because Saul thought that he would be killed in his attempt to go out and kill 100 Philistines. Here's what Saul thought. He had it all together. I'm going to say he can marry Michal and he can consummate the marriage only after he goes out and kills 100 Philistines. And so he thought, but when he goes out there to kill them 100 Philistines, David's going to end up killed. My daughter will be spared and everything will be okay. I want to tell you, everything you try to scheme in the flesh will never come to pass. Amen. It's full of lies and for deception. Not only would it come back to destroy Saul, but it's going to also come back to destroy his seed, Michal. This attempt was pretty obvious and those close to him could see what Saul was up to and they were probably backing in him in it. But the problem was the arm of flesh did not stand up against the anointing of David. Can I have an amen? How many knows it's the anointing on your life that breaks down the yoke and the bondage that's set against you? What the palace of praise needs more than anything is the seal of the Holy Spirit's protection and the anointing of God upon it. Amen. Instead of the plan taking David out, it done nothing but what? Exalt him the more. Instead of David bringing back 100 foreskins of the Philistines, he brought back 200. <laughs> he come back and said, here's your 100. But here, I want to give you a bonus. Here's another 100. In the face of Saul, Saul's jaw dropped like, oh, this didn't work out like I thought. This made David gain even in his popularity. The very thing that Saul was going to use to destroy David lifted David up. 
It gave him even more esteem. It gave him even more power among the people. He become a prestigious man. He's went out and killed another 200. What Saul meant for bad, God meant for good. And this thing that seems to be so bad in our land, if we'll operate in the spirit, it will turn out for our good. Quit fretting. If you're a child of God, all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are called according to his purpose. That which the enemy has tried to destroy us with is going to do nothing but exalt us and make us more anointed and make us more influential and make us more powerful than we've ever been. If you believe that, stand to your feet and praise God. I don't believe you mean it. Quit seeing the doom and the darkness of this thing. See the glorious radius light that's going to shine through. As John says, you may not see it now, but you're going to. First Samuel chapter 18. Starting with verse 18, listen to what Saul's reply is about all this. This Saul saw, and he knew, I like that, and he knew that the Lord was with David. I can't wait till they say, we looked at everything that palace went through. They've been marked, they've been ridiculed, they've been attacked. They've been whipped in certain areas, had some difficulties. But when the smoke settled, we saw that the Lord was with the palace. Can I have an amen? When Saul saw this and he knew the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was still more afraid of David. And I want to tell you, instead of the church being fearful of the enemy, it's time that the tables are turned and the enemy's fearful of the church. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. We don't have to have a weak mind that crumbles to every little wind that comes along and gets us all discouraged and gets us downhearted and I don't understand and I start talking negative and thinking negative and and wondering and questioning and, and throwing things at God. No, 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 no. We're not afraid of the enemy. The enemy is afraid of us. That's why he's attacking us. Then verse 29 said, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Now truly, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God does raise up a standard. We can preach that. No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. And if God be for us, there's absolutely nothing that can be against us. Are you with me? The snare that was set could not capture or hold the man of God that God's favor was upon. Can I tell you this thing that's going on cannot take the man and the woman of God that has the favor of God upon them out. God is not going to allow the palace to go down. Are you with me? But Here's the warning that God wanted me to speak to this congregation right here it comes. 
Even though a victory was accomplished, Saul's plot was canceled. His plan was defeated. His scheme was destroyed. Yet that did not mean that the snare was over. Because verse 29, Saul vowed that he would be the enemy of David until the day he died. In other words, that did not stop him to continually keep on fighting. One of your most vulnerable points is right after you have a victory because you think, well, that stopped the enemy. Well, it did at that point, but the enemy is still much alive and he's not stopped attacking you. And if you have a victory today, don't let your guard down because he's going to come back at you at another time, at another place. Are you listening to me? Some of the, Elijah's worst time was when he had the great victory and the next few days he hears Jezebel say, I'm going to have your head cut off and then he goes and hides himself in depression. Right after a victory like that of slaying the prophets of Baal, how in the world can someone go from victory to depression overnight? It's because he let his guard down and he was snared with a spirit of depression. And you and I got to watch ourselves. And even though David showed great strength and anointing, yet the enemy was not done in his attempt to take David out. He hated David. The enemy hates you. There's no good in the devil. Under Saul's plan, David would be killed in the initial plan. Isn't that what John 10, 10 says? The thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. The ultimate enemy's goal for your life is to destroy you. Isn't that what 1 Peter 5 and 8 that we quoted a while ago be sober, be visible, because your adversary of the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You not understand that's what the devil's wanting to do to your life. The ultimate goal is to kill you, not just strip you, not just rob from you, but to destroy you. But if he can't kill you, then you know what he's going to try to do? He's going to try to get you to kill yourself. This is the warning that God wanted me to give you. Some of us has overcome some great victories and the devil couldn't kill us. You know what he's going to try to do? He's going to then try to get you to kill yourself. If the enemy cannot take you out, he will try to get you to cancel your own life and your own assignment upon life. God gave me a word of knowledge and said there's somebody in the house of the Lord that in their earlier years they started off well. They started off in the spirit, but they've resigned to the flesh and they've not been listening to the Lord. And they just keep on doing what they want to do when they want to do it. And it's all about their, their kingdom and it's all about their desires. And they have almost lost the reason of truth in their ears. And God wanted me to tell somebody here today, you better get back on path because if you don't, you're going to end up destroying yourself. It won't be God taking you out. It won't even be the enemy taking you out. You're taking yourself out by your own way of living and by the choices that you're making. Sometimes we blame things on the devil when it's us doing it to ourselves. The thing that Job greatly feared came upon him. What brought it upon him? His own fear brought it upon him. Can I have an amen? Saul's fate was that he died upon his own sword. He committed suicide. Have you ever thought of that? In 1 Samuel chapter uh, uh, 31, verse 1 through 6, we see that King Saul's army was being slaughtered by the Philistines. Jonathan and his son, Jonathan, and another one of his sons were killed. And Saul had been wounded and still allowing the Philistines to capture him. He says, I'm not going to be captured by them and be tortured or whatever. And he put his sword up and he fell, his own sword up and he fell upon his own sword and he died. And this is where his reckless life led him. This was the outcome of a self-centered, self-serving life. The devil exceeded, exceeded, succeeded in bringing death to Saul. But, it was, but he didn't do it in his early attempts when Saul was anointed of God. 
Do you not realize in the earlier stages when Saul first started out being the king of Israel, he started out good. Saul conquered many wars. He won many battles. He was anointed of God. He was spared of the Lord. He was protected by God. But I want to tell you his defeat did not come until after he had disobeyed. He took God's presence for granted. He lost God's favor. The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. An evil spirit came upon him. And then it was the enemy that was able to come in because the hedge was down. The seal was gone and the devil was able to come, the serpent was able to bite because the hedge was gone and plan B began to be activated in his life. We see later after a period of time that the enemy who's very patient, they be, it came after David again. But this time it comes in a different form in a different way. The devil is crafty. He does not always come at you at the same way. Everybody wants the same old routines, the same blessings. I want to tell you, you got to get out of your routines because they're nothing but ruts to leave you to an early grave. Folks, what God done yesterday is not what God's going to do today because what God done yesterday was a way to activate his blessing to protect you from the scheme of the enemy. But the scheme of the enemy has changed, so therefore God's blessing has to change in order to combat it. Oh, y'all are quiet here today. This time, instead of it being Saul, it would be Michal that would come against David. This time, it would become by someone that was closest to him, his own wife. The snare came at one of the most crucial times. It came in a time when David was trying to bring back the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He was trying to bring the presence of God back into the camp. The most crucial time ever is to try to bring the favor, the presence of God back. And let me tell you, isn't it odd that the enemy attacks right at the most important and crucial times of your life. And one of the most crucial times is right now because you know what the next thing on the agenda is? It's the rapture of the church. And I want to tell you, the devil's trying to do everything he can to snare you to where he can destroy your life where you don't go in that rapture. That's what this is all about. This is about keeping you from going to heaven. It's about ensnaring you to death. And here's David trying to bring back the presence of God. And if there's one thing the palace has got to get aggressive in is God, keep your presence here, but magnify it even in greater portions than it's ever been. We have to have the presence of God. When Saul began his reign, the ark of God had been at um, the house of Abinadad for over 20 years. And matter of fact, the Philistines, as you know, had captured it under the reign of Saul. Can you imagine, this is another thought the Lord gave me, and I looked at this, and I thought, oh, God, what are you saying? And he would not let me change the wording of it. I said, well, that's impossible. But God says, no, it's not impossible. I want you to put it down this way. Can you imagine allowing the presence of God to be captured by the enemy? Can you imagine the presence of God stolen? That's what happened. Laugh at it if you will, but in many churches, there's no presence of God. All there is is self-serving, self-initiated, self-styled services. Going through protocol, following the well-designed procedures, going through the mechanics of religion, adapting to religious routines. The Philistines may have captured the presence of God, but they soon found out that, it was, that that presence of God was superior to their God of Dagon. So they said, we can't have it around here. He's destroying our God. So they put it on a wooden cart led by two oxen and they said, we're giving this ark back to Israel. We're gonna send it back home because it's a curse to us. And it's a sad day when the enemy can't house the presence of God 
due to its superior power, while the house of God negates the power of God and is void of the power of God due to their neglect and rejection of it. We have a form of godliness, but we're denying the power thereof. Too many places, we resist the work of the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. And we see that the ark finally found a resting place at the house of Benedict and his son. And there was a man by the name of Eliezer that took care of it and nurtured it. Upon David hearing of the ark's return and uh, it representing the glory of God, David had turned to go back and to fetch it. So David, in his first attempt, he tried to go back to the house of Abinadab where Eliezer was the servant of taking care of it. He said, I'm going to bring it back to Jerusalem. I want the presence of God back in Jerusalem. But David does something very horrible. He gets a cart. He places it upon a cart, carries it with oxen like the Philistines did. And we know that that is not the way that God designed the ark to be carried or the ark to be transported. Nevertheless, he failed in his attempt. And I've seen the same attempt in church services where I've seen choirs try to sing it down. I've seen worship directors try to drive it down. I've seen preachers try to preach it down. I've seen the height, the energy, the charisma, the talent all on display trying to bring down the presence of God where we're pumping and we're priming and we're pleading and we're begging and we're blessing people out, doing everything we can to try to manipulate or try to get God to show up. But it, it, we're no different than the prophets of Baal trying to get pro, uh, the Baal God to move. But if it's going to come down, I'll tell you what's going to bring the glory of God down. It's when the church gets under a broken and a contrite spirit and humbles ourselves before God and surrenders our will to the will of the Father. It's then and then only when we have a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is where we're at in life. Finally, we see that there was a man that when they were pulling it with the cart, and the cart hits a hole and the oxen stumble and the ark begins to slide. A man by the name of Uzzah reaches out and grabs a hold of the ark to stable it. When he did, it killed him and death came because they wasn't handling the presence of God right. David leads, leaves the ark at a man's house by the name of Obed-Edom and God begins to pour out his blessings upon that house because the presence of God was there. His name meant the servant of Edom. You cannot house the presence of God carelessly and recklessly, and it has to be nurtured. In other words, if you're going to have the house of the presence of God in your house and in your temple, you've got to learn how to serve the presence of God. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. What's the word wait? It ain't sitting around waiting to show up. It's waiting on him like a servant would wait on a table. I'm waiting on the presence of God. I'm serving the presence. Instead of, I want lordship. I want you to give me this. I want you to cater to me. I want you to give me everything I desire. And God, I don't know why you're not doing what I want. And you're not fulfilling my dreams. You're not fulfilling my ambitions. And I want this and I want that. I want to go here. I want this man. I want that woman. I want blah, 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 blah. That's what a lot of people's lives is all consisted of. And they're carelessly, recklessly pulling the Ark of the Covenant on a wooden cart. But it's the man that waits upon the presence of the Lord. As a waiter would wait on a table, serving the presence of the Lord, making him Lord and a servant. And the servant of Edom, Eleazar, gets blessed because of who he was. David goes home. 
He says, I don't know what in the world's going on. He says, you know, I've lost the Ark of the Covenant. I've lost the presence. And let me say something to somebody. If you've lost the presence of God, sometimes there is a process and sometimes it takes time in retrieving it. A lot of people want to come to an altar and get a one-time fix. If I can just fall out in the spirit, if I can fall on the floor and jerk like a fish, everything's okay. That ain't how God works. He's got to do a work of sanctification in your heart. He's got to do a work of cleansing. He's got to do a work of healing. When you lose the presence of God, there's a process of healing that has to take in your place for you to be aligned in the perfect power that God wants you to be able to walk in and to be manifested in. You may be forgiven the first time you ask, but there's still a process in retrieving the anointing upon your life. Can I have an amen? I'm going to have to hurry. The whole time Saul was in rain, it didn't even enter his mind to bring back the Ark of the Covenant, but it was in the mind of old David. And I want to tell you why it was in the mind of David. Because David was a worshiper. David, with the music that he wrote, the songs that he sung, and, and the way that he was always constantly seeking the will of God and how he was sensitive to what God's desire was. And you see it all through the scriptures. You see that he was sensitive to the spiritual. While Saul had no sensitivity to the spiritual at all, he was sensitive to the flesh. And he was a fleshly driven man. He was a man that was all about his kingdom. And all of a sudden, David begins to go home and he begins to study, he begins to pray, he begins to do soul searching, he begins to investigate, he begins to do everything he studies and he takes time and he says, if I'm gonna get the presence of God back, I'm gonna do it right this time. And it took some discipline, it took some sacrifice, it took great devotion and it took some great soul searching. And all of a sudden, he says, I'm gonna go get this ark. He goes and gets the ark this time and he does it the right way. You know the story, how that he took the priest and they took the poles and run it through the rings that was on the side of the ark and they picked the ark up without even touching it because you couldn't handle, flesh could not handle the presence of God lest they be killed and they put up on the shoulders of the priest, three on this side, three on that side and they carried it upon the shoulders of men and that was the burden of the, of, of the church. The burden of the church is to bear up the glory and the presence of God upon the shoulders of men that's our job and they put it up on their shoulders and they started carrying it and David begins to say okay boys we're going to go six paces and then we're going to offer sacrifice they would slay an animal blood and guts were everywhere Six being the number of man, every six spaces man was revealed. So in order to go any further, there had to be a sacrifice because man's flesh would not suffice. So six paces flesh was revealed, sacrifice had to be made. Six more paces flesh was revealed, sacrifice had to be made. This kept up, and if I can remember right, I didn't look it up, but I preached on this for years, and if I remember, it was 11 miles 11 miles, six paces sacrifice, six paces sacrifice. Hundreds of lambs and bullocks were killed. Blood and guts were strung for 11 solid miles. Hundreds 
hundreds and thousands of dollars were spent. David said, I'll never offer God anything that don't cost me something. It's going to cost in order to get the presence of God. And David was willing to get that presence. Six paces and a sacrifice. Six paces and a sacrifice. Six paces and a sacrifice. But I want to tell you, blood and guts and stench was 11 miles long. You could follow it. It was the slaughtering of animals. And when he finally got into Jerusalem, he was dancing and shouting all the way for that 11 miles in front of that ark. He was dancing. And the Bible says that he danced out of his kingly garment and he had an ephod on, which was a priest in a servant's garment. And when he come into the Jerusalem, Michal was upon the balcony of the palace and she looked down and she despised that which David was doing because he was not in the attire of a king or a warrior, but he was in the attire of a servant. Why was he in the attire of a servant? Because you cannot have kingship over the presence of God. If you're going to have the presence, you got to be a servant. Jesus was a servant leader and he housed the glory of God in his flesh. Everything Jesus done, he done as a servant. The church has lost that. It's all about what we like, what we want. Matter of fact, some people won't even come to church unless you put them on the program. It's all about us. Me, I always hear the word my ministry. I have no ministry. It's God's ministry. I got two hours more. I mean, I've been locked up for 14 days. Now you're going to be locked up for three hours. I got to let some of this out. I'll hurry. David, snare from Saul was that Saul tried to kill him physically. Right? Was going to try to set him up where the Philistines would have him killed, murdered. Isn't it odd that David would make that same mistake later on, not learn from it? Trying to hide a sin with Bathsheba. How sad. That's another message. Another time. But nevertheless, it didn't work because David was under the anointing. But Michal approaches it a different way. Instead of trying to have him killed, she just tried to stop his worship. John was on target today. If the devil can stop your worship, he's just destroyed the church. Are you listening to me? Worship is what ushers in the presence of God. Worship is what's going to see us through this thing. David comes in. His wife sees it. She comes down. She makes aggressive accusations toward David. She said, you are naked before the people. He wasn't naked. I've heard people say, well, he was naked. He was not naked. He just didn't have the robe of a king on and it offended her and she couldn't see anything else but you just made a shame of yourself because you're supposed to be the royal prince and you humbled yourself as you as a commoner. And she could not understand that humility brings blessing. She had the same old spirit of carnality upon her that her father had. The same anger, the same jealousy, the same rage, everything about what Saul had was birthed into that woman by Saul's leadership.
And boy, she begins to ridicule him, begins to mock him, and listen to his response. I want you to know something, a woman. I want you to understand that it was God who appointed me over your father's house and not myself. I want you to understand that if you've got a problem, then take it up with God because I want you to know your father is no longer in charge, but I am. And therefore, because I am in charge, I will play music before the Lord. He set her straight. Now you say, well, he was arrogant. He was cocky. He was, no, he wasn't. He was confident in who he was and it was a sign of his identity that he knew who he belonged to. And until you know whose you are and why you are who you are and who you are linked to, you will always be insecure and you will always walk around being defeated with anxiety and fear and all that kind of stuff. It's time that the church become confident in who they are and whose they are. And God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you into the ends of the world. I am a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You can count on me when you go through the fire, I'll be there. When you go through the waters, I'll be there. When hell ascends against you, don't worry about it. I'll be there. When the virus comes against you, I will be there. When all of hell itself rises against you, and when the enemy comes in like a flood, I will raise up a standard against them, saith the Lord. Amen. And then he looks at her and says, I want you to know something, little lady. If what you think I've done in the last 11 miles has been crazy, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he turned the loose of having a Holy Ghost meltdown. That man erupted in worship and praise and honor to the glory of God. What is that? It is our worship that is a sign of the witness of the presence of God in our midst. How do I know that? Because when the Philistines stood on a hillside for all, they knew that the Ark of the Covenant had come into the camp of Israel because they heard them shout. And when they heard the shout, they said, surely God is among the children of Israel. I want to know something. Can you bear witness to the devil this morning that God is with us at the palace of praise? Can you bear witness that God's in this house? Whose report are you going to believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. Praise him, all ye people. Praise him, all you saints. Let your heads be lifted up, oh, you everlasting gates, and let the king of glory come in. Praise the name of the Lord. This week, I was just doing my devotions more than I ever done because I was at home where I could spend more time just reading. Oh man, man, that's good right there. I wish I had time for that. And God began to lead me to the Psalms. And every Psalm he led me to was stuff like this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and praise his name. Give thanks unto the Lord for his goodness, mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endureth forever. Praise the Lord with your whole heart before the gods. Gods of the world, 
Sing praises unto him. Lift your voice like a trumpet declares goodness. Let the earth be glad. Oh, clap your hands. Lift up your voice with a shout of triumph unto the Lord. Praise his holy name. And then I just on and on and on and on and on. It was all about praise. And God told me, he said, you tell the palace. If they want victory during the midst of this virus, start lifting me up. And magnify me as if they believe. Because a lack of worship is nothing but a sign of their doubt and their unbelief. But when you're praising God, you're praising him for his mighty acts. You're praising him according to his excellent greatness. You're praising him for all that he's done and what he's going to do. Has God ever left you? Has God ever forsaken you? Has God never come through for you? God's going to come through for you at this time. And right now, I just want this congregation, I'm not going to have an altar call. I don't feel that to. I want this congregation to enter in with me. Now, I'm going to be starting, and I'm trying to work out the timing for, that's best for the schedule of the church, the schedule of me. We're watching out what we schedule because we're not getting too many events taking place because of the virus right now. We're just being, we don't want to do these events that would cause something for people to have to be quarantined that would affect the gathering. God said protect the gathering. Protect the gathering. Folks, whether you know it or not, we were been pushed behind the scenes to shut down the church. We're not going to go into the detail of who's all been pushing us, but me and Randy both got to praying about it and studying the word of the Lord and both of us, the same night, God spoke to me at my house and God spoke to him at his house. And when we conferred the next day, I said, he said, what is it that God has spoken to you? And I told him, he said, it's identical, exactly. And he began to tell what God said to him and it confirmed that we must keep the church open. It is essential. And the gathering right now is important. We're not popular with everybody. There's people that's mad at us. There's people that's speaking things. But I'm going to be like David. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. But for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord. We're not going to be stupid. We're not going to be arrogant. We're not going to be out here telling people if you got the virus, just come anyway. We're not doing that. That ain't wisdom. But what we are saying, that those of us that know that we don't have the virus, we need to come in and gather together and get strengthened and exhorted. But we got to come into the refuge. We got to come into the sanctuary, the hiding place. There's an important time. And we've got to come in faith, believe it. The palace is not down. The palace is not going down. The palace is not weak. The palace is not going into failure. The palace is not struggling. The palace is very much alive. The palace is very much anointed. The palace has very much been exalted. So we might as well exalt the name of God who's protecting us and keeping us and shielding us and leading us and empowering us and sustaining us and healing us. Praise the name of the Lord, church. believe what I preached this morning. Do you believe it? 
We're not no better than anybody else because we dare to face the odds and not shut anything down. That ain't what this is about. This ain't about making a stupid statement by us coming together in a statement of faith. No, no. This is a statement of faith to our God that we believe in what he has said to us. Amen? That we're trusting him. That we're doing everything that we know to do as a believer to be obedient to his command. And we believe the church is essential. The church is just as essential, my friend, as the hospitals are. What we do is important. Father, I pray blessing upon this congregation. I pray protection in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ to be applied to every doorpost of every heart. I pray that no disease, no virus, no sickness, no illness shall come upon your people. I pray that you would protect, that you would guide, that you would lead, that you would empower. God, I pray that those that are quarantined, those that have the virus, those that are isolated, those that are watching by television, that you would bless them as well. I pray that there will come a time, God, when, Lord, you release them from their quarantine, that they might be able to come back to the house of God. But I pray, God, that as we gather here, let us worship you like we've never worshipped you before in our lives. But let it be a pure worship. Not that we're trying to put you on a cart and get you to do the things that we want you to do. But where we're in this present time willing to put aside our desire to allow your desire to be manifested. And it's your desire that all men would come to the knowledge of truth and be saved. Send us revival in the name of Jesus. Before I came to church, I was listening to Pastor Jeffrey's uh, voice of victory, and he made a statement, and I wrote it down. If I can find it here, and I thought, oh, God, how true that that statement was. And when he said, take a pencil and write this down, I thought, I ain't going to do that. And all of a sudden, the Spirit said, write it down. And this is what he said. Every time you are willing to suffer for obeying God, it is a sign of the defeat of Satan. There's a sacrifice in what we're doing. There's a suffering in what we're doing to a certain extent. But every time that we're doing it to try to be obedient to God, it is a sign of the defeat of Satan because we're letting the Lord reign and rule as sovereign God. Amen. Now in closing, this is what we're going to do in closing. I want you to clap your hands as loud as you can and give the loudest shout to Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on, yes. Be a witness. God is with us. Come on. Come on, do it again. You've done it for the Father. You've done it for the Son. Now do it for the Holy Ghost one more time. Yeah. And whatever you do, you remember this, that if it gets darker and bleaker when you walk out the doors, just keep on worshiping. And when you enter into his sanctuary and enter into his courts, do it with praise because he is in charge. And you will see the light of day if you remain obedient. God bless you. 
Praise the Lord. Good to be with you this morning in Jesus' name. Go in the blessing of the Lord and the anointing of the Holy Ghost.